Welcome to AgriTalk Podcast with me, Philip Keitang. Today we'll be talking about uh, pollinators. And with me today is Dr. Eliud Moli, a senior lecturer at the Department of Life Science, School of Pure and Applied Science at the Southeastern Kenya University, yes. also popularly known as SECU. SECU yes. Welcome, Dr. Thank you. When we talk about pollinators, what is pollination in the first place? Simply said, pollination is the transfer of the male gamete, what we call the pollen grains, from the male part of the flower to the female part of the flower that is called the stigma. And this transfer can be either in the same flower or different flowers on the same plant or different flowers on different plants. And then the agents that do all this work are what we call pollinators. And it could be wind pollination, it could be water pollination, but essentially for, for our sake today, we are talking of uh, the animal-mediated pollination where we have uh, insects as pollinators and other living organisms as pollinators. Maybe you can give us um, those few examples of pollinators that we have in Kenya, to be specific. We can start with the insects pollinators. We have honeybees. We have bees, generally, which are the most important pollinators. And we'll have the honeybees, that are the common bees that we see on flowers. We'll have stingless bees, that are tiny bees that have lost their sting or their sting out of evolution. They're also very good pollinators. We have the big buzzing carpenter bees that drill holes on your timber or your wooden structures. And we also have not some other bees that are not very common, but they're very good pollinators. They're helicity bees and the leaf cutter bees. So um, you've mentioned the bee, and the bee has been described as one of the best pollinators uh, in the world. Why is it so? Several things. The first one is the architecture of the honeybee. The honeybee is body is fully covered with hairs, and these hairs, pollen sticks on these hairs when the bee gets into the flowers, and therefore this makes it a very good end of moving pollen from one, from one flower to the other one. And of course, um, when bees are flying through air, the bee gets positively charged. And the flowers have a negative charge. The pollen grains on the flowers have a negative charge. So our primary physics tells us that unlike poles attract. So when the positively charged bee gets onto the flower, the negatively charged pollen sticks on the hairs on the body of the bee. And therefore, the bee becomes a very good pollinator. Number two, bees can be domesticated easily and you can build their populations to very high numbers. And that means that you have, again, uh, our primary ma mathematics where told uh, five men worked for five hours on this field. What happens? How, how much time do you take when you increase the number of men to 10? Of course, it will be less time. So every time you build the population of uh, bees, then you have more workers to do the pollination for you. Again, bees build high populations in terms of babies. The queen can lay up to 1,500 eggs in a day during the reproductive system uh, period. And these larvae or these babies are fed exclusively on pollen because their babies... And we know protein is the bodybuilding foods, and they are building their structures, so they need a lot of protein. This protein comes from pollen. And therefore, if you have more babies being nurtured, then there's a high demand of protein, which comes from the pollen, and a lot of this is collected. Then uh, lastly, there's bees, honeybees exhibit what we call uh, flower fidelity or flower constancy. And that means if a bee works, starts working on maize in the morning, it will collect pollen only from maize. Or if it starts working on beans, it will only collect pollen from bees. 
And this pollen becomes important because if a bee works on coffee, for example, a coffee plant and moves into a maize cr uh, crop or a maize plant, that pollen is lost because maize cannot pollinate coffee or coffee cannot pollinate maize. But if it's from a bean to a bean or a coffee to a coffee, then cross-pollination happens. And this makes bees very, very important pollinators. And a bee can work for its entire lifetime as a forager on one, only one flower until it dies, as long as the flower is there. If that flower uh, stops blooming, the bee can decide either to switch flowers or just die without doing any other work. So um, how many types of bees are out there apart from the, the honeybee? Several. Like I said, we have uh, the carpenter bees, we have the stingless bees, we have the leaf cutter bees, and we have the hyacinthid bees. Apart from the bee, I know um, earlier on you had mentioned other insects that are also pollinators. Correct. Even, even uh, you mentioned a particular bird. Yes. Maybe you can take us through that again. From the bees, we can go to moths and butterflies. And uh, butterflies have very long tongues or proboscis. And basically, they, will, uh, they are very good for pollination of uh, flowers that, have a l that the nectaries are hidden inside the, 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 the plant. And therefore, moths and butterflies form a very key group of pollinators. Moths, of course, we know they are active during the night. Butterflies are active during the day. And they are plants that specifically open up during the night. And these ones are pollinated by moths. And papaya is one example of uh, a crop that is pollinated by moths and butterflies. We also have beetles. The nearest example I can give of a beetle for those who are not uh, insects, people like us, is uh, the cow dung beetle. That, uh, I know in Kikuyu they call it dingongo. <laughs> it just rolls a ball of uh, um, dung and keeps rolling on it. Actually, that's where they lay their eggs inside. So that group is also very good for pollination of the oil palm. We also have ants, siafu and related ones that pollinate the euphorbia. We also have flies that pollinate cacao and mangoes. Uh, so we are saying that without flies that pollinate uh, cacao or cocoa, we would not be having our chocolate. Okay. And then, of course, from, from the ins and wasps. Wasps also are insects that pollinate, uh, especially the fig trees. Then moving from insect pollinators, we have birds, dege, mm -hmm. that have small, like the hummingbird, they're small, long beaks. They're also, they're also very good pollinators. And we have bats, B-A-T-S, that uh, is also a very good pollinator, of, especially of plants that uh, open their flowers at night, because bats will be active at night. Now, let's narrow down and, and concentrate on the, on the honeybee for now. Um, apart from just pollination, what other benefits can we accrue from keeping the bee at home or as, as around us? There's, there's pollination, of course. Uh, let me go back a bit eh, and uh, say why, for example, why pollination is critical. And I want to link it to what you have said. We, we know that or um, research has shown us that uh, 60 to 80 percent of all flowering plants depend on pollinators. And that means that this this pollinators contribute to what we call um, habitat stability and ecosystem stability. Ecosystem means the interaction of the physical or environmental, the non-living part of the environment with the living part, and also the interaction of the living part with each other. When, and when we did our primary science, we talked about food webs and food chains, 
And the founding stone was always producers, which are the plants. So the plants build life for everyone else. And these plants, like we are saying, need bees to pollinate them. So when bees pollinate plants, then we have ecosystems and habitats that are stable. That is number one. Number two is that uh, bees give or offer opportunities for production of food. So this is uh, sustainable food production because, of course, they pollinate our crops. Number three, they also offer opportunities, pollinators offer opportunities for income generation. We have millions of households in this country that depend entirely or not entirely on their, their beekeeping for sustainability or livelihoods or income. Selling wax, selling honey, even selling bees, or even selling hives. And we have uh, also in uh, Arabuko, Sokoke Forest, and parts of Taita Hills, we have people who do what we call butterfly farming. And we have just said that butterflies are pollinators. And therefore, butterflies also offer people opportunities for income. So all these things is why we are talking about pollinators. And if we narrow down to, before we narrow down, if we talk about our sustainable development goals, the first three, bees contribute directly. Okay. Zero hunger, of course, if there's no pollination, you cannot talk of uh, food security. No poverty, you have just said that uh, bees uh, uh, play people and you know, people sell products and stuff like that. Then uh, good health and well-being. Bees will give you fruits and nuts, which are the main sources of vitamins, and uh, amino acids and all that, uh, that are very critical for the well-being of the human body. Climate action is another SDG. If you are talking of uh, combating climate change, the first thing you think about is planting trees. Without bees, you do not have seeds to plant here, to establish your, 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 your trees from. Gainful employment, again, cottage industries based on uh, beekeeping, we are talking about. There's another SDG, life on land. Okay. Again, life on land largely depends on the, the producer that are the plants that are heavily or closely linked with honeybees. So five out of 17 SDGs directly impacted by honeybees and pollinators. Then we, when we narrow down to our um, agenda four, we talk of food security. Of course, without bees, there's no food security. We talk of universal health. Without bees, there's no health for human beings and whatever. We talk of manufacturing. Without bees, we do not have raw materials, materials. like cotton, macadamia for value addition and all that. And then we talk of housing. You need timber, you need poles. Without this, you will not even be talking about the agenda for. There's, there's also been uh, a lot of concern that there has been a serious decline of these pollinators, especially the bee, worldwide. Yes. What could be some of the reasons why uh, we are seeing this decline? Several, but I'll, uh, maybe let me touch on three or four. The first one is environmental degradation or destroying of habitats. Habitats are like the homes of bees. In these homes, that is where bees shelter, that is where pollinators will breed. That is where pollinators will get their food. So if we destroy the environment, then we'll destroy all these things. We'll destroy food sources, breeding sources, shelter, and all that. And therefore, we lose our pollinators. So every time you cut down your trees, maybe to do a road or maybe to establish an industrial park or even a simple farm at the rural area, then we are really interfering with the, the lives of, of uh, pollinators. Number two insecticide use, indiscriminate use of pesticides. People have to know what to spray, when to spray, 
and how to spray. For example, we are not supposed to spray when bees are active in the field, like early morning up to midday, because that is the time that temperatures are good and bees are just out there having a good time in the field. We encourage uh, our farmers to spray late, in the, not very late, but in the evening when most of the foragers have gone back to, to the hives, or very early morning. And we also encourage them to read labels of pesticides that they're using and use the ones that are less toxic to, to the bees. So pesticide use is another issue. Then there's the issue of uh, climate change, prolonged droughts. There will be no food for the pollinators. There will be no water for the pollinators. And this also affects the behavior of pollinators like migration and all that. So, yeah. Oh, of course, there will be the issue of uh, parasites, pathogens or disease-causing organisms, and pests. Okay. Yes. So, and we have invasive uh, uh, parasites of, for example, the honeybee, uh, varroa mite, which has had a very serious impact on beekeeping worldwide. But good enough, our bees seem to be tolerant to the parasite, without what we call natural resistance, because we didn't come in to spray them. We, when we reported the uh, varroa mites in 2009 through the State Department of Livestock Development, we encouraged our beekeepers not to spray or not to, use, not to introduce chemicals into the hives. And the bees have just fought for a period of seven years, and they seem to be like coexisting with the parasite without uh, any, any serious harm. Of course, we have reported viruses that affect uh, honeybees, like the deformed wing virus, where you have varroa, the populations of the mites are very high in the colony. The baby bees that come out as adults will come out with very deformed wings that they can't fly. Mm. And these bees are very useless to the hive because bees essentially are supposed to fly and do some work. Um, are there uh, farming practices that we can employ in our farm that uh, uh, are not harmful to the bee? Yes, absolutely. We can leave some um, uncultivated, uh, uh, just small strips in the field, or we can encourage edges, uh, um, we call them flower edges, just around the crop, so that bees also have uh, another source of uh, food in addition to working on your, on your crop. And like we all know, if you have very colorful food on your plate, chances are that you are eating very healthy. If you have something orange, it means you have a carrot, if you have something green, it means you have mchicha or managu. And by the way, these traditional vegetables need uh, bees for pollination. If you have something white, it means you have ugali or, you know, or rice. you have something brown, you have beans that need uh, pollination. So the more colorful your food, the healthier you might be eating. The same thing applies to bees. The more sources of pollen that they have, the healthier they get. So we should leave everything that is flowering around us for the bees to harvest pollen from. Do the bees get sick? Yes, bees get sick. We have uh, honeybee disease, like I've just mentioned, like the deformed wing virus. We also have um, diseases that become more serious if bees are exposed to, to, to pesticides. And uh, one of the things we know is that, uh, two things we know, is that uh, pesticides kill bees or pesticides have what we call sublethal effects, effects that do not kill the bees, but the bees suffer. And one way they suffer is learning. And bees do a lot of learning, like when they go to the field, they don't get lost. These navigational skills are out of learning. And therefore, if you have pesticides that don't kill the bees, they may affect their navigation, and bees go out there and they cannot go back home. So there are those diseases. Of course, we have nosema. Nosema is a, is a 
fungal disease that makes bees to diarrhea. And you see your bees, Nikama Wanahara. That's also a disease that affects bees. But like I said, most of these viral diseases are closely linked to the varroa mites. And our bees have maintained a very good tolerance level of varroa mites. So these diseases are not as diverse or as many in our bees as we have seen in, for example, in North America and Europe. Okay. Yes. Do bees migrate? Yes, bees migrate a lot. Actually, if you go to uh, this part of um, Abadea's Kinangop, there's a lot of beekeeping along the Kinangop ranges. But beekeepers, they know that when it's very cold, and Kinangop gets very cold, when it's very cold, the bees migrate down to Naivasha, which is warmer. And when Naivasha gets very dry, because it also gets very dry, they move back to the, the mountains. The same thing where I come from, Ukambani, we, people, we have kept bees for many years. And our grandparents used to tell us that when it's very dry, bees will go to Mount Kenya. When it rains in the lowlands, the bees come back. So they migrate and they have, um, they have uh, migratory patterns that are even known to the beekeepers. Let's say I'm starting as a beekeeper, um, setting up an apiary. What do I need to do within my apiary to attract the bees to my, to my beehives? First thing I would encourage you to get training. Just get the basics of what bees are. I know a little bit of biology of about honeybees. If you know a little bit of their biology, you become a better beekeeper. Then get the equipment. Equipment, I'm talking basically of hives. Then the next step is uh, select a place where you're going to keep your bees and then place your hive there. But before you place your hive there, you have to clean the hives, you have to bait them, uh, put some stuff that attracts the bees like propolis, beeswax, and it will be very good to fence off the area so that there's less, less disturbance either from domestic animals or from children going to school or coming back from school. And if you can afford, you can do a very simple structure that we call a bee house. It could be a simple house made of mud where you can keep your bees inside and they just move out through the walls of the building so that you reduce the conflict with the humans. What has been the effects of uh, climate change and global warming to the population of the bee? Definitely there's been a reduction. Reduction because when you have uh, climate change, we are talking of uh, less rain or unpredictable rain. And this, of course, if there's no rain, there's no flowering, there's no food for the, for, for the bees. Again, we know from research that uh, because of uh, climate change and global warming, flowers are not, plants are not flowering at the times that they used to. And therefore, we have short flowering periods. So bees now and other pollinators have to adjust to a shorter flowering period, which again is stressful to the bees and uh, that leads to, to, there's an impact on their populations. Number three, we know for sure that uh, climate change affects the migration patterns, for, for example, of honeybees. And therefore, again, this has also, if you, if you talk to beekeepers, Actually, at, out of your experience, I don't know where you grew up from, but I want to, you, where you grew up in, but I want to imagine uh, you, you have had some rural experiences. When we were young and playing football, bees would just pass over and everyone would be encouraged to lie down. That does not happen nowadays. So Very what true. is that telling us? We have lost a big population of our honeybees. It could be climate change because this affects, happens very slowly, we don't notice. It could be the effect of pesticides. It could be the effect of agricultural practices that are not very good for the bees. 
And if we combine all these factors, four or five factors acting synergistically at the same time, then our pollinators and bees are really suffering. Okay. Yes. Do you think as a country we've done enough to protect the bees? Unfortunately, I would want to say no. We can do better. We have some steps, but we can do better. I know we have the national beekeeping policy, which has been in draft form, I don't know for how many years, more than 10 years. So again, that's a, 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 a beekeeping law that is supposed to protect the bees. It's not activated. That's a challenge. I know we have pesticides that are not, that are banned in Europe. They are not used in Europe because of the effects of honeybees. We are still using them here. But of course, of course, I know there are, NEMA has uh, very good laws to protect uh, pollinators and honeybees, but when it, the, the enforcement is not, is not adequate. Of course, I know I have worked in, uh, with Turkana County government and they have a livestock bill and they have also captured beekeeping and bees in their livestock bill. But in, in, in a way that it doesn't come out. And we want the bee, bee thing and the pollination thing to be at the forefront of everything that we do. Because we have just said sustainable development goals, our uh, big four agenda, we cannot talk about those if we don't talk about pollinators. So there's much we can do. There are steps, positive steps, but there's much that we can do. What do we also need to know uh, or to do to educate the, the public or to provide enough information to the public? Uh, and is it also possible to introduce some of these educational um, tips to students in school? Yes, absolutely. What can we do? Number one, we need to encourage our farmers, and I respect our farmers. They do a very great job to feed us, but we need to encourage them to use farming practices that are friendly to pollinators. We have just said they can leave some uh, patches of feed and plowed so that other things can grow there and for breeding sites and for shelter of pollinators. Number two, we can, like what we are doing now, this is very encouraging for me, uh, where we can educate our masses on the importance of pollinators. How do they relate to our food production systems? And I want to give you a story, a very short story, if you allow me. SECU works with uh, a certain university. We collaborate with a certain university in the U.S. called uh, Pennsylvania State University. And uh, around 2014, 2015, I went to the U.S. on an exchange program. And when I get to the airport, the guy was, I don't know, they call them border something. He asked me, why are you in the U.S.? Border control. Border control. And they are very serious characters. He asked me, why are you in the U.S.? And I told him, oh, yeah, we are working on some collaborative beekeeping project. We want to see why you are losing bees and we are not losing bees in Kenya. And he just stamped my passport and said, go save the bees. And then I got into a taxi that had a, an Ethiopian driver. And then the East African Brotherhood, we started chatting and he asked me, why are you in the U.S.? Said we are working on a honeybees and said, oh, we are losing our pollinators. We don't know whether we'll be eating in the next 20 years because everything that we eat depends on pollinators and bees. That is the level of awareness that I would want to see in our general population. Okay. We have done some steps, but again, through the media and everyone else who is out there, we can, we can do more. We can do more. The things like the 4K clubs in uh, schools, I don't know whether they still exist. We should also bring in the issue of um, pollinators into the timetables. 
you know, and just inculcate this pollinator-friendly behavior among our people. The World Bee Day. Why was this day important to be in the world's calendar? Yes, allow me to say that uh, it is being celebrated in Kitui County, where SECU is based, and uh, unfortunately I have to be here, so I'm not with them, but we are with them in spirit. And this is a day that has been set aside by the UN to recognize and appreciate the immense contribution of the honeybee to human existence. In terms of pollination, in terms of sustainable uh, food production, in terms of income, because millions and millions of households in the world depend directly on the honeybee for their livelihoods and sustenance. Okay. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Elliot Muli. It's my pleasure to be here. For being part of this podcast and sparing time to be with us today. We want to say thank you. That is it for uh, today's podcast. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.